Our second scripture lesson this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, and then 8 through 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land that had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith he received the power of procreation even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of the heaven and as numerable as grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, God has prepared a city for them. This, too, is the word of God for the people of God. So today is very Abraham-y. We've got two texts that point to the story of Abraham, formerly known as Abram. And I have a lot of questions about Abraham. Good old Father Abraham, a man lauded for his faith generations later. Hebrews remembers Abraham as a hero, sort of, someone who was faithful and obedient through all things, followed God even though he did not know where he was going. In a chapter that is full of examples of exemplary men of the past, Abraham stands out. And Abraham, Hebrews tells us, was rewarded. Now, I have to be honest with you here. Um, These five verses from Hebrews, I I don't particularly love them. Um, They make me really uncomfortable. Uh, So uncomfortable, in fact, that I almost didn't include them in today's scripture lesson. I was going to cut them out of the reading for today. But my friend and colleague reminded me that we have to face difficult scriptures, and avoiding it isn't a very faithful thing for a preacher to do. And I am, comfor- I am uncomfortable with it because I take serious issue with the suggestion that we are rewarded for our faith. And that's sort of what these vor- verses point to, isn't it? By faith, he received the power of procreation even though he was too old. It isn't difficult to make the leap from that to, if only I am faithful enough, God will give me, reward me with everything I need. 
what a cruel thing to teach someone. Pray harder, because God rewards the faithful. Do more good in the world, because God rewards the faithful. Give more to the church, because God rewards the faithful. Believe better, because God rewards the faithful. Cruel. Whether it is spoken to a couple that is struggling, fighting to conceive, or to someone who is battling an, in, uh, an illness, or preached by advocates of a prosperity gospel to folks in developing countries working themselves to the bone to provide for their families, it just, it isn't okay. It creates an image of a God that is transactional, who needs us to do something in order for us to be loved. And not only am I not comfortable with that, I don't think it in actuality is a faithful representation of God and God's relationship with humanity. So no, I don't think that faith works that way. Faith does not function as a pathway to rewards. And here's the reality of Abraham's story. Abraham led a very complicated, very far from perfect life that culminated in a very specific, literal promise given to him by God. Faith in the promise is what made Abraham move, but Abraham didn't receive what was promised because he was faithful. He received it because God promised it. And more than that, it took a really, really long time to get there. The story of Abraham stretches over like a dozen chap more than a dozen chapters of Genesis. His life is one of continual promise and faith, but it is also one of constant waiting. We meet Abram for the first time in Genesis 11, and then in chapter 12, Abram meets God, and God first promises him um, to go from his country into this land that he's going to show him. He will make him a great nation. He'll bless his name. All of the descendants of the earth will be blessed. Great. So God gives this promise to Abram, who is already 75 years old, and Abram believes, and so he leaves his homeland. He goes and follows God into a foreign land, and he spends the next several chapters having various misadventures, and our lesson from this morning picks up in chapter 15, and Abram still hasn't received any of that promise. None of that has been fulfilled to him yet, which Abram points out, and God responds, don't worry. Abram, look at the stars. That's how numerous your descendants will be. Okay, great. Thanks, God. By the next chapter, Abram and Sarai still don't have a child. So Abram fathers Ishmael with Hagar, which goes over super well with everyone. The next, uh, the next chapter then sees God coming to Abram once again, promising once again these descendants and blessings that we first heard in the 12th chapter. Here, God changes... Abram's name to Abraham. And then again, in the very next chapter, God promises this again. And so I imagine by now you're catching my point. It has been promised by so, so many times by God, and so much time has passed that in this chapter, Sarah, who has also had a name change, laughs. And I imagine that not only do descendants seem kind of impossible, but also after all this time, it's I mean, it's just kind of absurd, right? Now, I know that God is God, but I have to imagine that Sarah and Abraham were experiencing more than a few pangs of mistrust. If you say, 
No, if you promise that you're going to do something, then do it, right? So of course, Sarah laughs. Finally, Isaac is born to Sarah and Abraham in chapter 21. So remember, we started in verse 11. Chapter 21, when Abraham is 100 years old. So this whole deal has taken a long, long time to be finished for God to give part of what he promised to Abraham. And so this is why I wonder about our dear father Abraham. I know that he is lauded for his faith, but I have to wonder if Abraham was always so certain. He packed up everything that he had, went to a land that he had never seen before, all because God told him to, because God gave Abraham a promise. And he waited and waited and waited to become the father of many nations with descendants as numerous as the stars, without any proof, with nothing tangible, just on the promise of God. I have to ask myself, wasn't Abraham exhausted? (laughs) Exhausted of all of the words and all of the waiting, doing everything asked of him, and then having nothing physical to show for it. In the fifth book of the series that Game of Thrones is based on, author George R.R. Martin, he uses this particular phrase several times. In fact, he uses it 13 times by 12 different characters, so I think he's trying to make a point. Words are wind, Martin writes. And I think that the point that Martin is trying to make is that words are, are meaningless. Just like wind has no mass or substance, words have no weight. A Lord can promise his loyalty to another, but words can't ride into battle. A queen can promise peace for her people, but words won't protect them or feed them during the hardship of war. God promised to give Abraham everything, a perfect land, millions of descendants, and infinite blessing. But when that promise goes unfulfilled for so long, even... um, as it has been given over and over again through the years, faith seems difficult at best. Isn't he exhausted? The recipients of the book of Hebrews are also exhausted. The book of Hebrews is something between a sermon and a letter working to encourage its readers The leader of this band of believers is trying to address this urgent pastoral problem. His flock is spent. Being faithful is hard. Being the odd men out in society is hard. Serving other people is hard. Learning and teaching all of these things about Jesus is hard. Keeping an active prayer life is hard. They are tired of walking the walk, and many of them are considering taking a walk leaving the community and falling away from the faith. And so the writer is doing his best to encourage his people to be faithful. Chapter 11 defines faith and then outlines all of these great heroes of the faith from the Torah, including our friend Abraham. It encourages faith as endurance, following the example of those who have come before us. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance and conviction. 
full and clear belief in things that you cannot prove or touch or see. That is how we have defined faith for centuries, spawning platitudes like, God is there even when you can't see God in times of hardship and pain. The Common English Bible, it translates this verse as, faith is the reality of what we hope for and the proof of what we don't see, which changes things a little bit. Instead of believing in something without proof or evidence, it suggests that the faith itself is indeed proof, that reality. It's what we have now um, instead of what we believe will eventually come to pass. And this is not a uh, a definition of faith per se, but rather a description of how it functions. New Testament scholar Beverly Gaventa says this about it. She writes, By striking contrast with the customary understanding of this verse in which it asserts that the obvious truth of faith involves confidence about things you cannot verify, what Hebrews actually says is that faith in the believer already anticipates the final outcome, the reality of what is believed. That is not to say that believing makes something true or whatever actually one's believes will happen, but that faith has this kind of eschatological power. Faith gives us power to and pushes us forward. It pushes us to move forward, working in the reality of what we believe. What we find in Hebrews 11 is not some simple definition or platitude about belief, but rather this highly provocative claim that faith itself moves us in the direction of realizing those things that we believe those things that are presently beyond demonstration. So yes, Hebrews, you are exhausted, but your faith is the reality of these things that you're hoping for. Your faith is what is going to push you towards the realization of all the things that you're waiting for. Your faith is already moving the world toward the hope that you have. Faith is the reality and we're compelled encouraged, emboldened by our faith to continue in our hope. That, I think, is the function of our faith. And that is something that I really needed to be thinking through this week, because the problem of the Hebrews seems like a particularly contemporary problem, if I'm being honest. It seems like something that we're facing right now, because I'm exhausted aren't you? I am exhausted of being a person of faith in a time when shootings happen so often that I can't keep track of what happened when or where. I am exhausted of being a person of faith in a time when I can watch on the news a little girl sobbing on the first day of school because her dad isn't there to pick her up because he was arrested in an ice raid. I am exhausted of being a person of faith who knows that there are places not far from my home where people are treated like animals and kept in cages with little experience of compassion or mercy or even human dignity. I am exhausted from being a person of faith in a time when, as a whole, we don't really seem to care that much about our neighbors. Because I believe in and I hope in the truth that we are all made in the image of God. I believe that we are all beloved children of God. 
I believe that Jesus Christ calls us to be full of grace and mercy and to seek justice for the least among us. And boy, do I have a hard time holding fast to that faith, like the faithful who have come before me when I look at the world. It is important for me to remember and to know that Abraham was not perfect and that he struggled, and he waited a long time for a very specific promise. His faith, it pushed him onward towards something that was already real. It didn't make that promise happen. Abraham's faith made him act, made him follow God even when it seemed ridiculous. It propelled him into action. And it is important for me to remember and to know that my faith in a good God who calls us all good is in fact real. That my faith in a God who became a human to teach and model and ultimately die for humanity is real. And it is important for me to remember that I believe in us. I believe that we as a people of faith have it within us to act on our hope, to be a people of action because of our faith. People who make faithful promises to babies and their families when they come to this font, promises that we fulfill in this community every day. People who faithfully support one another in the best and worst of times in our lives. People who go out of this sanctuary doing good in the world because our faith is the reality of what we, what we hope for and the proof of what we can't see. We believe that things can and should and will be better. And so we lean into our faith, we get up, we take action, and we follow God into the unknown land. Amen.